Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Oh, it's busy. I'm working on several books right now. How are you doing? I'm busy too. I've got a class next week, so I'm polishing up my keynote. But what I really want to do is get out of this house with my camera and make some photos. Ah, me too. Uh, It's hard to know where to start, though. I mean, what do we need? Oh, what we need is a handy guide, like packed with hard-earned advice, but gets right to the point. I think you might have been locked inside too long, Jeff. Rocky Nook just published that very book. I'd call it something really straightforward, like the travel photography book, and find someone really prolific to write it. Yeah, someone like Scott Kelby. He's someone who travels, writes numerous awesome books, teaches classes, creates videos, plays a wicked guitar. Yes, yeah, exactly. And knowing Scott, I mean, he's probably written three books like that just this morning. It's only been two. It's, it's been a slow morning. Scott, Scott Kelby! Good morning, gentlemen. Scott Kelby is one of the most prolific authors and photo educators we know. And he's just published his latest title in the wildly successful The Something Book series, dedicated entirely to travel photography. Travel photography sounds like fun with a camera, but it can be complicated. Heck, travel itself is complicated. So we're starting to plan trips for the summer, so the timing of this book couldn't be better. I'm Jeff Carlson. And I'm Mason Marsh. Welcome to Photo Combobulate, Scott. Thanks for having me here and... uh... Crank up the music. Let's talk travel. Wow, it sure is great to have Scott Kelby here. He is a master of a lot of things, a great photo educator, obviously a great author. I have been looking, Scott, through your new book, the travel photography book. And at first, I got to say, when I cracked it open and I saw that it was just page after page after page of these really succinct tips. I was like, this is a really kind of strange way to put together a book. But the more I followed through it, I was like, (laughs) this is brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. Let's jump in real quick and and explain for people who haven't seen any of these books, because he also has some other ones like just the photography book. And the structure of it is basically one page is its own lesson. And you've got a nice big picture and here's a thing to learn. And it's not a whole lot of, okay. now we're going to spend five pages dictating the history of how cameras work. You've all read those books and seen those books and there's a place for those books. But. I got to tell you, I am also a book author, and it's Scott's books that I recommend to most people who want to get started. I was like, look, this is the place to go because you're going to learn all the essential stuff. It's completely digestible and, you know, and, and then you can branch out into, you know, more of the theory and the, and all of well, that. Thank you for that. So it, it's a great format. It is. It's it's a great format. And it, like they're full color. They're not very large. You can absolutely take them with you when you go on your travel trip. So another brilliant part about this, this Jeff, title thing, especially. Here's what you're missing about this because you're an author. Uh-oh. It's, just think about this. It's only one paragraph per page. <laughs> Just, I don't even just know think how to about process that, right? That. It's a picture <laughs> and then a paragraph that describes what's going on in the picture, and then you're on to the next. But this is why you can write one of these before breakfast. Wow. It's because it's you're not writing pages. You're you wrote two. A paragraph. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because that was one of the first things I said to Jeff when we, we got the, the edition of the book. I was looking at it on my iPad and I'm like, I just it's just like a pair it's like a little snippet per page. I said, How fun that must be to write that way. And 
then I read the introduction you're talking about. This is sort of like you and I or the reader in you it, traveling together. And you're I'm like, hey, Scott, I want to get those things in focus. What would I, what would you do? And it's exactly those types of answers. And that is how most adults learn as, as an educator. And you know this, right? Most adults learn in short spurts. We're, we're not good at <laughs> Once you reach a certain age, you can't sit there for four hours absorbing information. You need to get little <laughs> bite-sized things you can chew on without choking, right? I want to jump right into some of your tips. And I want to, it, we're not going to go through the, the book itself because I want people to, I want to save that experience for people to buy the book. Please, by the way, people go buy the book on Rocky Nook. But I do want to ask you, if we were really traveling together and we were, let's say we're going to Rome, which I know is one of your favorite places. If we went to Rome, would it be more important for you in the morning to go out and take photos or to get a really good coffee? Okay. There's an order. <laughs> I have to have, when I, when I get out of bed in the morning, including today and every day, the very first thing is coffee. I cannot function now. I only need one cup per day. I don't have to drink coffee all night. Once in a while, I'll have one after dinner, but it coffee is like, I need coffee in my room. That is like the key thing now. And then I am up super early. I am up first thing in the morning. I'm up before dawn out on location while it's still dark. So it's coffee and then immediately zoom out and leave. And there's so many great places in Rome. Now there's great places for coffee as well. And in Rome, sometimes I would go get that second cup just because it's Rome <laughs> and the coffee is so, so when in Rome. but yeah, it starts with <laughs> coffee that's then nice. a shoot, and perhaps another coffee. Perhaps, perhaps another coffee. You Excellent. know, one of the things that I talk about in the I, – I teach a travel photography course to um, mostly people who are retired, who, are, who have time to travel and the resources to travel. And I spend – one of the first lessons I spend a great deal of time talking about getting yourself ready to make photos and not just racing to the camera, but doing all of the work necessary to – sort of set yourself up for success. And I think coffee is a big part of that, right? Or taking care of yourself so that you're ready to be creative. So other than the coffee and getting up early, what are some of your tips for making it possible to make awesome photos the, when you do get to where you're headed at the right time, at the right place, with the right gear? What are some of those steps in getting getting that your head together and things like I that? I think one of the things... Is, is not letting the equipment get in the way of what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, it's very easy to get really sucked into the equipment side of this. And so the first thing that I would, I would tell people is when you're going to do travel photography, travel as light as you possibly can. Because when you're dealing with a lot of gear and you have a backpack full of stuff and all, you're not getting in the zone. You're not really... You're not in the moment. And, and there, there are two parts of this. The great thing about travel photography is actually enjoying the travel experience. Like it's, I, I don't want to go to some place and have seen the whole thing through a tiny viewfinder, right? I want you to be able to experience and, and love the whole, all of it. Love the coffee, love the breakfast immediately after the shoot, uh, all those things. So, so the <laughs> yep. first thing, and I think this is a big key. And I, and so I do workshops. I have a workshop coming up in Prague in about 45 days. And this one has been delayed since the, for, uh, since March of 2020. And it's all the same people. Oh, They've hung in all this time and we're finally getting to go. <laughs> But I, oh. I, I send a newsletter to my, my workshop folks, I, and, and the first topic is always, 
however much gear you think you're going to bring, take it all out of your bag. And so what I try to do, and I think like if I want to set somebody up for success at a dawn shoot, the first thing I would say is if you can take one lens, you're going to enjoy this shoot so much more. And I think that we have this fear that we're going to get out there and go, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to miss this shot because I didn't bring the right lens. Bring a lens. Like what I shoot with is a 24 to 240. So mm. what what other lens am I going to need that morning? But I'm covering a 24 to <laughs> 240. Now, it was interesting because I used to shoot a lens. I used to shoot Nikon and I used to shoot a Nikon lens that was really good. They're 28 to 300. And I thought what I wanted was another 28 to 300. And I was, I was at a meeting at Canon's headquarters and I'm complaining to them that their 28 to 300 is this big. It's bigger than a 70 to 200. And it was heavy and it was so old that it, it, you, it was a push pull. Like you didn't turn the barrel. You pushed my business and it's expensive. It was like three grand. It was just awful. And they said, what about a 24 to 240? I'm like, no, no, it's got to be 300. And they said, and they said something really important. And this is why this is my go-to travel lens. They said, look, if it's 240, you can crop it to 300, 400, 500, (laughs) but you can't go any wider. So if we give you, instead of a 28, we give you a 24, you can't make a wide angle any more wide without doing a pano, but you can. And I was like, oh, I want a 24 to 240. And Sony already had one. Sony <laughs> were the first ones to have that 24 to 240. And so what I would tell folks is take one lens. Now, if you feel like I must take a second lens, take a sling bag, just a bag big enough to switch lenses. Mm-hmm. And then in my sling bag, I use a, a Think Tank Turnstile 10, I think it is. And it goes across your body so you don't have all the weight on your shoulder. No one can run and grab it off your shoulder because that happens. I've heard stories of people dislocating their shoulders as a young kid runs by and rips the, the camera off your shoulder. So this goes across your body. And when I want to change yeah. lenses, I pull it in front of me. I unzip it. There's my lens. There's my cleaning cloth. I have a platypod. I have a ball head. It's amazing what that little bag holds. It's the smallest bag. It's like this big. It's so small and holds so <laughs> much. But when you're not messing with a bunch of equipment, you can actually get in the zone and stop worrying about, do I have the right lens? Do I have the right focal length? What do I need? Because really, it, it's this is all the technicals should go out the window at this point. You're in a beautiful location. You're there at the right time. Everything is set up for your success, except for you. And this is, I think, what you were alluding to when you were asking that <laughs> question. So for you to be in the moment and really enjoy it, less is more. Don't bring a bunch of equipment. Don't bring a bunch of accessories. You know, I certainly if you're shooting at dawn, you're going to want to have a tripod. I would use your phone to trigger your camera. Because you can get a free app from everybody, Sony, Fuji, Nikon, uh, o- OM System, or whatever it's called now, Olympus. <laughs> nobody, <Right. laughs> nobody knows. But um, each one of those has a free downloadable app. And you can just sit there right beside your computer, coffee in one hand, phone in the other, tap your thumb, take the picture. You can really enjoy the morning. And and it is great. But, but you're looking at this scene, right? And you're only going to get one location at dawn 
right? Because there's you want to shoot before the sun comes up. You want to get in place. And so you're not going to get 10 locations at dawn unless they're all within 15 feet of each other. So get set up and, and take that shot. And it just enjoy being in that city when the streets are empty and it's quiet and there's no, there's not tours. I always think, so for example, Rome, you mentioned Rome. Um, I took my, my students to Rome one morning. We wanted to shoot the Vatican, the Vatican Museum, that beautiful front and all. And I thought, well, we're going to get there at, you know, 5.15 a.m. and all. And, and I said, look, we want to be the first ones there to kind of stake out our spot. And no one else showed up at all. No one. Not a single other photographer. Wow. And then in Paris, I did a workshop in Paris. We all wanted to get to uh, up high overlooking the Eiffel Tower for dawn. We got to get there early. Not a single other photographer. It's just us. Now, here's what's weird. When the light comes up, the sun is risen and the light gets bad. Here come the photographers. Right. Yep. Here they all come. Like we're leaving, getting ready to go to breakfast and they're just showing up. And we're like, you missed the good light. Mm-hmm. You missed the amazing stuff. So, but, but being able to enjoy that moment to get, get set up early. You're not rushing. You're not trying to get all your gear out. You don't sit there with this big backpack pulling stuff out and all. And uh, I, I would say that that would be the first bit of advice. If you really want to have some success, go in with this. You're still on vacation. You know, very few of us get to say, I'm going, we're not living the Joe McNally life where National Geographic sends us to some amazing location. I got my wife and my kids and, you know, right. and, and you know what it is. If you take those tour buses, they leave right after the good light and then, the, and then they come back just in time for you to miss the good light. They're designed to be miserable to photographers. <laughs> but if you, so this is your right. chance. You're all alone. Streets are empty. The smell of coffee fills the air. It's just, you're just, you are in the perfect zone to really enjoy the experience. You're going to get a great picture. You got good gear. And let me ask you, I, and I want your guys, can I ask you a, an opinion question? All right. So are you both sure. on mirrorless? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are, are there? Yeah, we're not dinosaurs no, just crying out loud. <laughs> no, but so, so let me ask you, this is a legit question. Do you know anybody? Yeah, yeah that has a mirrorless lens. They actually bought a lens for mirrorless and they say it's not sharp. Even if it's a $250 lens, I don't know anybody that, that deals with lens sharpness issues anymore. All the lenses that are being made today, Tamron, uh, 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 Mm -hmm. Sigma, uh, Zeiss, Canon, Nikon, of course, all you can't buy a lens that isn't sharp anymore. Am I, am I off on this? No, no. No, not at all. Not if it's I mean, made, made for mirrorless. mirrorless. Yeah, I mean, if you can adapt oh, a yes, bad lens yes, you can. to a mirrorless camera, but you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah but definitely. Yeah, yeah that's no, something I, I tell my students that, you know, it, it, I used to really caution people, like, make sure you buy the lens that's made right. by the company that yeah. made your camera. And now it's like, no, yeah. don't worry about that. You can. Yeah. Get a lens that yeah. fits you what you like those, to do. What is it? Uh, oh, I can't think of the Sam Yang. $250 lenses. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. A buddy sent me a picture this morning that he took out west this last week. With a three hundred dollar lens, and he's like, "You got to zoom in and look at this thing. It's three hundred bucks, and it's sharp as a tack. They're doing Milky Way shots, sharp as a tack. Wow. And uh, and then you've wow. got at the end of the day, the great equalizer is. Uh, I don't know if you guys use this plugin, uh, Topaz AI. It's a sharpen. It's called Topaz Sharpen AI, and it uses artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And literally, all you do is you you open the photo, and it it, it says applying. 
and you click OK. <laughs> you, you don't have to put in any numbers. You don't, and, and it's insane. It's so good. So even if you, if you have a marginal old DSLR lens and you're like, it's not as sharp as I want it to be for 69 bucks, you get this plug in and we're all using it. Like everybody I know, we're all using it now. It's like our secret weapon because you just open it. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. That's it. Oh, it's so good. And they, they can go yeah. download it yeah. uh, uh, for free. Amazing. You know, you can do the demo. You'll be stunned. You'll be like, yeah, this yeah. is my new jam. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> I well, do love short photos. I we all do, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and going back to that experience in the morning, I have to say, and I don't know, this might just sound terrible, but there is an a certain satisfaction of getting there early, being the first ones there. So you're not rushed at all. And then the light comes up and you pack up and you leave. And then like people start showing up, either other photographers, tourists or whatever. I don't know. There's just this, this, this satisfaction of, okay, I did well today because I was here and I saw the light and now I don't have to be with all these other people. This has happened several times. So north of me uh, here in Seattle, uh, up in Laconer, they have these massive tulip fields. It's one of the, the biggest tulip producing areas in the country. And so you go up there before you can see anything, you know, five o'clock in the morning and shoot the sunrise over the tulip fields and Every time I've done this, we've we've packed up, headed off to breakfast and look over, you know, like one field over. And there's just a line of cars, you know, like starting to to show up. And you know that all these people are going to be fighting with all the other people to find a good spot. And just the satisfaction of being able to to have some control over your environment, especially when you're traveling, because there are so many places you travel where you get there at two o'clock in the afternoon, it's just going to be a mess, right? And so giving yourself with a little bit of work, giving yourself a little bit of breathing space, then like the rest of your day is much better. Like, okay, yeah, it's going to be crowded at this spot, but oh man, this morning was great. So I can, I can deal with this. You invested in yourself and we talk about this a lot. You, you did something to make the shot. Right. Like you went this extra step. Everyone else is sleeping. You got up, you're tired, you got out there. And there is this satisfaction from like, you know what? Um, I, I can hope to get lucky and you're going to have to get lucky when the light is bad to, to get a good oh, yeah. shot because now you're dealing with, you've got tourists, you've got bad light. You've set yourself up for a fail. But when you get up that extra early amount and you get there and you're in place, you, you, you're going to enjoy it on so many different levels. Uh, and it's funny. I remember I was doing a portfolio review um, of a student. I was teaching the Santa Fe workshops. I was doing a portfolio review and they had a printed portfolio and I opened the first picture. And I'm like, Oh, this is, this is beautiful, right? This is gorgeous, you know? And then I turned the page and there's that barn in Wyoming, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, the yeah. barn in Wyoming, there's only one barn <laughs> and that's it. And then I, I turned the next page. It's just a beautiful shot in beautiful light in the perfect location. And I turned the next page. I'm like, what happened? What happened here? And you know what they said? Oh, well, the other three shots were taken during a workshop 
and this other one I got up and they they didn't get up early mm-hmm. they didn't do the mm-hmm. thing and they and they had a horrible shot in horrible light it was just everything bad and you're like beautiful 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 horrible what what was the difference at the workshop the only difference was they got up early they got in position they shot in great light and it made beautiful photos. But when it was, when they were on their own, they're there at two o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. the worst possible light and all. And it was stunning because you're like, wow, this person's really good. And then, oh, I stand corrected. <laughs> what happened here? It was like a different photographer stepped in. Yeah. But, but one of the things like that a workshop does is makes you get up early. And, and I, I know that sounds silly, but that's part of it. Whether you're shooting landscapes, or you're shooting travel. And I don't think people think of it that much for travel. I think a lot of times they'll think, well, we want good light and all. But with travel, you get two things. You get the great light, but you get the empty streets. You get the wet cobblestones. Mm-hmm. You get, a, like you get a view of, 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 you know, like the Colosseum in Rome or, or whatever. You're at the Eiffel Tower with no one there because nothing kills a shot. Like a bunch of tourists milling around in front of your shop. So when you do get that, get up early like that, it makes all the difference in the world. It's, it's, it's the difference between that portfolio of great shots and then this three o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon, high noon, awful shot. So yeah, uh, Jeff, I, I totally do get it. There is this feeling of, of accomplishment that I, I invested in my photography today. I got up early. I went and did something that. Other photographers weren't willing to do, and I got the fruits from it. And while everybody else is fighting the tourists, I'm having a fantastic Roman <laughs> right, rest. Right, right. Well, and I don't know if this is something that, that you guys have also experienced, but it also tends to, to relieve some pressure of – you know, here I am in this amazing location and I went and I got some good shots and I feel pretty good because I got some good shots. I had a good experience. So if I am out somewhere later and I'm thinking, you know, yeah, this could be a good shot or, you know, maybe I'm you know trying to do some street photography or something uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily require like that, that amazing light. There's still that satisfaction of, look, I made a set of good photos today, or at the very least, I had a good photographic experience. So I'm not feeling that that stress of, oh, I spent all this money to get here and I haven't shot anything. And I, uh, you know, I think of myself as a photographer, but here I am just wandering around, not taking any pictures and I've wasted, you know, and like that, that whole ball of, of, of craziness. <laughs> of stress. And you're on vacation. You're not supposed to be stressed. That's the whole point. So getting that out of the way even can just make you think, all right, you know what? I did a good job today. Now I'm going to go find the best croissant in this area of town. That's right. <laughs> now you get to re- have the reward. Yeah. And yeah. And your afternoon is free for some light shots. <laughs> perfect. So it's perfect. perfect. Take it's your nap. You know, yeah. I, I, find the photographers that are just having the bag over the show. No, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I, I tell my kids is, you know, if you make your bed in the morning, you start with success, right? And I, I want to follow up on what Jeff yep. said and what you said, Scott. I'm a morning person. For me, sunrise is the best time of day. And Jeff is the opposite. He's... <laughs> <laughs> He's had to learn I'm a this. Late-nighter. He's had to learn this. So when we're traveling together and Jeff gets up early in the morning, I know he's making big sacrifices to, to get that morning <laughs> light. So when you're traveling, and I travel on vacation with my family, they're not morning people. They want to sleep in or they want to hit the pool or, or whatever. 
those are my moments. That's like, great, I'm going to get up at 3.30, and I'm going to be out of here, quietly sneak out of the room, and I'll be back at 8.30, and I'll be totally bushed and tired, but I will have nailed some stuff down that will make the rest of the day just gravy. So I want to talk about the rest of the day because when you're traveling and you're putting in these long days where you're getting up pre-dawn, possibly staying up late, getting some cool night shots uh, of the city or Milky Way shots or whatever, how do you lay out your day when you're traveling, Scott, so you don't wear yourself out and, and end up sick or end up you know uncreative? Uh, so I do start with a morning shoot wherever I'm at. Uh, I don't do it every day. I usually do it. If I'm going to be in a city for four days, I do the first two days. I take a day off and then I do the last day. So uh, I do take a break one day and I do try to plan a sunset shoot every day. Uh, in, in, in the middle of the day, you know, even in my workshops, when I do a workshop, we take a siesta. So we are on break from lunchtime until five. So we take a five-hour break because we all got up at yep. dawn. We we shoot. We go to breakfast. We're in the classroom. We're in the classroom, and and we're in the classroom by nine. So we're we're in there till lunch. Uh, and then you need to go catch up on some sleep. You need to do whatever sightseeing that you want to do and shopping and stuff like that. So I do take my afternoons pretty easy. Now, one of the first things that I'll do if I go to a new city, uh, if I if it's a city I've never been to before. I go and I take that two-hour bus tour. It's the very first thing I do. And here's the thing, and this is hard. What I'm about to explain to you is going to be way more challenging than it sounds. When you take that bus tour, ready? You have to leave your camera in your room. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, I can do that. (laughs) Sure. And then you're walking out the room to go on the bus tour. First day in the town, never been there before. Let's just say you're, you know, in some place you've never been, Budapest. And you're like, wow, I want to see this place. And you see your camera laying there on the bed and you go, I'll just take it just in case. I'll just take, no, no, don't do it. Just take your phone. Just take your phone. Because your phone, number one, you're not going to take serious pictures with it. Now, you can. So don't get me sure. wrong. But if you have your mirrorless and you're there or your DSLR, you know, you're, you're going to say, I'm going to take my serious pictures with my DSLR and I'll take my behind the scenes and video and other stuff, you know, family photos. Hey, you know, let's do a selfie. You know, you're not going to hold a DSLR out. Right. So, uh, there are, I do think a second camera for travel is, is, oh, yeah. is your phone. So don't, don't totally. get me wrong. I love my phone. Um, so, uh, but when you have your phone, it has GPS built into it and you can go, on, on, so I think of the two-hour bus trip as, as a mm-hmm. scouting trip. What places that I did not find in my research before I came to Budapest do I want to come back to? Am I going to see some little alleyway with a fountain that just looks so charming that wasn't on any map or any place else? I can just take a picture of it, and it's embedded the GPS data. I can open it in my my phone app, and it will take me to a the GPS coordinates and show me a satellite photo of where I was standing when I took the photo. So I'm using that, my second camera, as my, okay, I want to come back here. I want to come back here. Ooh. And then you also find out, and this is big, the first time I went to Rome, I was going to get up at dawn and go to the Colosseum. And by the, you know, you get one shot in the morning, right? I'm going to do the Colosseum. I take the two-hour bus tour, and the Colosseum is covered in scaffolding. Oh, yeah. The entire thing. So, but I knew right then, okay, tomorrow we pick something else. 
We're not going to go there because this is there's not a shot here. It's under renovation. And by the way, everything is under renovation. <laughs> so it's really good to see. Happened to me in, in France when the uh, they had, uh, you know, these big wood things around the, uh, the opera house. Uh, they were doing a renovation to the front of the opera house. So I know I don't want to get up here in the morning. And I would only knew I would only know that because I drove right past it on the bus. And, like, the opera house. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, I was coming there tomorrow morning. OK, good. I'm not going to waste a shot. I already know it's it's unshootable. So and sometimes it'll be just it's not that it's under restoration. They'll set up a, a stage right in front for a concert that's going to happen that weekend. And it just looks terrible. Mm-hmm. It just as you know, it doesn't sound under restoration, but still you're like, I'm not going to shoot this. Or there's a crane mm-hmm. out front or some other thing. So it's taking that two, that two hour bus tour does two things. It lets you see the city. You get two hours of like, okay, this is, and you hear the history and the whole night. I, I put the little headphones in and listen to as we go, but I have my phone. It's, it's, it's in my hand. It's ready to go. And I know if I see a place I want to, and also I can just shoot a street sign if I want to make it even easier. But, uh, that has paid off for me so many times. And it is now my preferred thing to do. If it's a city I haven't been to it's day one, morning one, go get that 9 a.m. uh, two hour bus. Uh, the hop on and hop off, but I don't hop off. I just sit on top. I try to sit on top if I can t- tolerate the weather. Yeah. So you have a clear, but, but don't take your, your DSLR. No one has ever won a photo contest with a photo taken from the second floor of a tour bus. <laughs> so that's, that's generally, you're going to get basically a, a lot of bald yeah. heads. You're not going to get a lot of like, wow, I got this magical shot on the tour bus. It just does generally doesn't go. Yeah. Out. Yeah. yeah. I, I went to Copenhagen a couple summers ago and did a three hour boat tour of Copenhagen, which is, you know, the comparable experience. And I did, like you said, I used my phone and instead of taking photos, I, I kind of just looked at the map as we were going and said, okay, I'm going to make sure I go back to that spot. And I was very much in, in scouting mode. And one of the parts of your book that I really appreciated was the, at the beginning talking about scouting. And I, I think that for me, in, when it comes to travel, I don't get to travel that often. So if I have a trip coming up in six months, I've got six months of fun ahead of me of <laughs> looking at Google Earth and going on, you know, Flickr and 500px and looking at everybody's photos and scouting, you know, this virtual scouting experience that you talk about in the book. But when you get there, you know, you do want to do that local ground truth thing where you're like, yeah, is, is it under renovation sure. or is it, uh, you know, blocked by another building you didn't that wasn't there before that sort of thing. And I want to know from you, this flexibility I think is a key component of travel. How much planning is in your mix and how much do you leave open for serendipity? I leave the afternoons open for serendipity. (laughs) Uh, I do want to make sure that I know where I'm going, but I, I, to be honest with you, I do my research the week before I go. Uh, I, I know that sounds silly because the right way to do it is the way you're doing it. (laughs) But I do, I, I, you know, I, I travel a lot, so I'm always going someplace else. So I'm, I'm literally the week before I'm like, well, I better figure out where I'm shooting. And so I start, you know, uh, I will also, uh, sometimes hire mm-hmm. a fixer. So, uh, I will, uh, and usually you find a fixer by going on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, uh, or someone mentions a fixer online, like, oh, I was with this great guide who you have to be careful. I, I, there, I, I think it's important for your listeners to know there's a difference between a photo guide and a mm-hmm. photo fixer. 
A photo guide is someone who leads you to tourist spots to take photos. Mm-hmm. A photo fixer is the guy that has a connection at the cathedral to get you in before the public's allowed and get you up in places the public isn't allowed. So you can shoot from the organ on the second floor and you can get these sweeping shots and you're right there when the light's amazing and stuff like that. That's a photo fixer. A photo fixer is a guy who can bribe the guard at the door of the hotel to get you on the roof in Dubai to shoot sweeping shots of the city. I mean, that's a fixer. A fixer is a guy who's got connections Mm -hmm. and will get you. I remember hiring a fixer in San Francisco and we're driving and we pull into this uh, really cool area overlooking the uh, uh, Golden Gate Bridge. And of course, there's a big fence and a lock. He gets out, <laughs> unlocks the lock. He's got the nice. key. He has the connection. He knows the guy. And you're like, oh my gosh. Did I think, are we, are we going to, how are we getting in yeah. here? He has the key. And so that's a photo fixer. A photo fixer is magical and will get you. I had a fixer in Rome and they got, they got us into cathedrals and they got us into places I didn't even know existed. And it was just when you get that, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Now, you're investing in your photography financially now, not just in your time, but you're going to spend a few hundred bucks. Um, but I mean, when you think of, of, you know, I, I've been to Rome twice in my whole life. Right. And, uh, then you think, you know, I may get back here again. You know, I may not, you know, this is my shot. And if I can spend 200 bucks, when you think of what we spend on lenses and stuff, you know, and it's like, you know, 200 bucks and I can get into these places and have them take me to even if fixers also know the best restaurants, like they know places you're never going to find. And they're just, and they order for you in (laughs) Italian. (laughs) So so you can say things to them like, and can you have them make the bread really thin and toast it just a little bit and all that. They know how to say all of that in Italian. So it's just, there's so many levels of what a fixer can bring. And often they'll have their own car. And just, it's just the stuff that, that a great fixer can, can bring. And, and many of the photos that we have seen in major magazines and stuff were made with some of the most famous photos ever were made with the help of a fixer who arranges either someone. Um, I had a fixer in China for a workshop I did right before the pandemic, like three months before the pandemic. I'm in China in the middle of nowhere. We had two fixers that were just unbelievable and they wouldn't even tell us what they were doing like we would we would get there and then they would say okay here's what we've done so we get to these rice fields you know these multi-tiered rice fields that if you have apple tv uh one of the screensavers are these over a slow drone shot of these amazing rice fields in china we were right there and they hired three village women to dress in red so it would stand out and carry these baskets on their head and stuff. And they're just, we get there and they go and they're meeting with the women and it's all set. And then we go to a, we go to a little tiny, tiny village. And here's a man who's already set up to bring us in their house to pose for our pictures in incredible light, wearing a traditional outfit. And you're just like, where are you going to get this stuff? Where are you going to get a fixer's going to like, I don't know anybody in a village in China. I didn't even know where I was, <laughs> but they have, they also got um, a, a, a museum in this town and, and hired a model in tradition, in a traditional outfit. And we had the run of the place for two hours. They closed the museum and let us go in there. And the fixer got, arranged every bit of it and the model and the model releases and every single wow. thing. And so those are, the, 
how do you get these shots? And you look at these and you go, well, how did you get this? A photo <laughs> fixer. That's that's their job. That's how they make their living. You know, it's just like when you make a movie, you have location mm-hmm. scouts that know particular places and they have access to places that, that you know you wouldn't find. And that's how they make their living. Uh, it's different than a photo yeah, guide. Yeah. If you hire a photo guide, you're going to be disappointed because you're going to go to places everyone can go. Yeah, and they're going to say this is this is the photo you want to take, and that's that always bristles me. I'm like, I, yes. you, you yeah. don't know what I want to take. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that happened to me. Uh, we went to Monument Valley, and they said, you know, you have to get, I believe it was a Navajo guide to get into any place other than the visitor center. And a buddy of mine knew a Navajo guide and all. Well, unfortunately, he wasn't available, but his friend was. And his friend took us to a spot, and I'm not making this up. We get out to this arch, and he keeps pointing to the ground. And, and we're like, what, what? And there was an X where we're supposed yeah. to stand. <gasps> We've curated it all for like, you. Yeah. <laughs> how many oh, no. photographers stood <laughs> on this X to shoot right through this arch, right to this tree, right to this seed? It, it was literally an X. And we're all like, "Oh, we're we're supposed to stand there." And he's like, <laughs> "Well, let's let's drill down on that a little bit, Scott. As a traveling photographer, as someone who's who has been all, seemingly all over the place, and someone who's led workshops too, how do we get shots that haven't been done to death? And and do you take? I mean, I've been to that barn in in Wyoming. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's it's beautiful, you know. It's stunning. It's it's required. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a great morning the there barn. a couple years ago. You know, when I shot there, I was like, "Well, I'm, I'm not doing anything new. I'm, I'm standing on ground. It doesn't have an X on it, but it's it's a well worn path." <laughs> when you're traveling, having a fixer can help you get to places that other people don't necessarily go to. But are you are you interested in getting shots that have been done before? Or are you trying to get new stuff? What's your sort of goal with that? This is weird because I do both. I I go and I get the classic shot and I'll explain why. And I actually talked about this in the book, but I always tell people you got to get the classic shot. Like if you go to Paris, just go stand in front of the Eiffel Tower and, and get the classic shot and ready, show it first. Like when you get back, right? And you've got your iPad and you have all your photos and you're about to show your neighbors, your friends, whoever your photos This is a weird psychological thing, but I've seen it happen so many times. If if I were to say, all right, gentlemen, close your eyes and to your viewers, close your eyes and picture Paris. What do they picture? What's the first thing that happens? They probably picture the Eiffel Tower. Mm -hmm. If I say, you know, a picture London, they probably picture Big Ben, right? There are these things that we have ingrained in our mind that represent that, that place. So what I found, and this is really, it's a weird psychological thing. If you start showing your artistic, wonderful, cool pictures of Paris and you're swiping through, you will notice that the person that you're showing starts to get anxious. They're waiting for that photo of the Eiffel Tower. Mm. And they will literally say, did you get any Didn't you see the Eiffel Tower? Do you have a shot of Big Ben? Did you? And so they're not enjoying what you're showing them. They're waiting for that Eiffel Tower shot. So I stand right in front of the Eiffel Tower. I take that shot and I start with it and they can go, there's the Eiffel Tower. And then they can enjoy your other photography. But when they're waiting to see the thing they expect to see, they're not seeing your stuff. They can't wait for those photos to get past Mm -hmm. to get to the one. So I shoot them both. 
it is very, very challenging to get a shot of the Eiffel Tower that hasn't been taken to death. But this is also, as a photographer, a wonderful challenge. I went and got the obvious shot straight down there, you know, straight down the, the grass, right, right towards it. But then uh, the shot I wanted to make, and I've, try, I've tried different ones, um, and I had a fixer, by the way. And the first time I went to France, not the first time. First time I went to France, I was 24, so six years. Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, <clears throat> it's photo math. Yeah. It's okay. Move on. Uh, <clears throat> I thought, well, I, I, I got to show this in a different way. So all I tried to show was there around on either side of the Eiffel Tower, there are apartment buildings, very nice apartment buildings. They look like they've been there for 500 years. And I just wanted to get like a part of a leg because when you actually, you know, it's taller than the Empire State Building. It's very, very tall. And so when you get there, you don't realize the scale of it is amazing. And and when you're when you're first there, because it's in a big open field, you don't you get the scale. But when you're over at those apartments, you have just this giant leg. It just seems, it seems massive. So getting pieces of it, getting little parts of it and stuff, it's, it, I found that to be very interesting. And so I spent most of my time shooting pieces of it. Um, but there are also other locations. And a guy sent me to a bridge called Bar Hakim, which is, does not sound like it would be a bridge in France. But it is a, an old deco bridge that trains run over. Well, it is on the other side of the Seine River, and you can shoot under this archway, and, and there is the Eiffel Tower. And so what I love about doing this is you're getting a shot of the Eiffel Tower without shooting it. In other words, it's not a shot of the Eiffel Tower, but the Eiffel Tower is part of the scene, so it says to everyone, France. And uh, I also did that with my workshop in Paris. I... Uh, I, I stayed in a Holiday Inn. Now, for Americans, listen, Americans think Holiday Inn, but in Europe, Holiday Inns are very nice. It's a, like a whole different oh. thing. It's not what you think of here. This was a beautiful hotel, and it had a rooftop bar, which all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, Holiday Inn, rooftop bar? That doesn't make <laughs> sense. But it was beautiful, and uh, we hired a model. Uh, for the, And I, I, I did the thing. I surprised my students. You go, guys, we have a special shoot on the roof. We go up to the roof. Here's the skyline of Paris, and there's the Eiffel Tower, and we bring in a model. One hour before, there two hours before the shoot, the model that a friend had, had helped. So uh, my friend's daughter uh, works on uh, uh, Paris a Fashion Week. She knew a model, and she said, she's great. She'll do it. I contact her. Everything's set. Two hours before the shoot, she calls and cancels. She cancels. Now, so now I have no model, but a great roof. And she goes, uh, she says, I can't make it, but I'm going to send my sister. So she says, don't worry. She's great. She's very qualified. She'll do a good job. Well, she gets there and she's lovely. Uh, and, and, and we get up there and, um, one of the participants in my workshop says, uh, I looked her up on Google and I said, yeah. And he goes, and he shows me his phone. Ready? The sister was France's Miss Universe con contestant for for the year before. Oh my she God. was the Miss Universe for France. <laughs> that was my backup model. Oh, man. And she was great. She was great. Now, we, we bought uh, costumes and stuff in the United States and oh, took wow. them to France with us. You know, long black gloves. And I was trying to do like a 1940s mm -hmm. like noir thing with you know, the Eiffel Tower in the background. So it's not the thing. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, so I do want to tell you who my fixer was the first time I went to Paris, like 10 years ago. Uh, a buddy of mine had gone and hooked up with a guy that was, you know, said, Hey, I, you know, I uh, saw you on, you know, your podcast. And so, um, so when I was there, uh, I wanted to do a class, uh, a travel photography class in France. And he said, Oh, you got to call this guy. And the guy spent, you know, four days with us and, and we became great friends. And he literally got us into crazy places. He got us into Le Train Bleu, which is a very, very famous restaurant located in the Paris Nord train station. It looks like you're shooting in in the Palace of Versailles. It's unbelievable inside. Before they served breakfast, not only did they let us come in and film uh, a video, they served us breakfast. <laughs> I mean, this guy had connections that were crazy. Do you know who the guy was? Yeah. Very now a tremendously famous educator and photographer, Serge oh, Remilly. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, oh, Serge. Wow. I mean, he's super yeah. famous, huge following, yeah, millions of followers. Yeah, it was oh, wow. Serge, and he was our. He's fixer. a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Serge is great. You know, you know, my favorite thing about Serge is so you know Serge lives here in the United States now. In fact, he lives in my hometown. I run into Serge <laughs> here and there, and we'll grab lunch or whatever and stuff. Oh, no, no. And, and we've become great friends. And we, my wife and I went back and went on vacation with him and his wife and, and his family. They're lovely, oh, cool. just lovely people. Um, but uh, what I like about Serge is when he starts his podcasts, he's very, very French. And then after about 30 seconds, he becomes 100% California because <laughs> he was living in LA. Like, so he's like, uh, you know, Monsieur, Mademoiselle, uh, bonjour, welcome, Mademoiselle Jamilly. I am a... Uh, photographer for france and anyway today what we're gonna do is we're gonna work on he goes from french to, to I'm, I'm from california and like five and i always tease him about it so when when he comes on my podcast or he teaches at one of our conferences or something he always starts very yeah. french on purpose and he uses he uses this really thick but but he is actually from just outside oh, of paris good. and he is he's extremely french but he's super super guy but but he's a he's fixer a picture. Wow. He's a guy that, that's got connections and knows how to get you. Dude, I couldn't believe because uh, I, I, I had read about this place, Le Train Bleu. I couldn't even get in there for dinner. And we're in there and they're serving that's us amazing. breakfast. Wow. And it was it was a good breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What a breakfast. And I was, they were Jay Maisel. So I was doing an interview with Jay Maisel. Um, and so we're in there having breakfast at Le Train Bleu. And I'm just like, I can't believe we're here. And we got to shoot the place mm-hmm. and all this. Oh man, That's ah, a I gotta fixer. get a gotta get a fixer now. Fixers. I mean, yeah, seriously, I've yeah. never even thought of that. What I often will end up doing is hitting up a barista or or a wait staff person, and be like, you know, what are some places around here where the locals hang out? And I've had some decent success that with works. that, but they're not photography fixers. You know, they yeah. don't have this. A lot of times they'll be like, well, you know, the place I like to go hang out that has the best food, and you won't see any tourists there. That's it's great for restaurants, but. Actually, best for photography, but I do do want to ask you a couple more questions on some of the logistical things of travel, because a lot of people, travel photographers, especially, they're really focused on the photography and they miss out on the travel. We tend to have head down on camera sort of sort of experiences. And I feel like my limited amounts of travel that I've done, my photos from those trips are, are great and I like them and I'm thrilled that I took those photos. But the memories I have of those spots are actually more cherished to me. So one of the things that I like about your book is how you share the images that you make when you get back home. You talk about making books, you talk about making websites, um, and all of the ways that we can share now with social media. How do you convey 
your whole travel experience that is much broader than just the photos you took. When you're trying to share these stories, how do you convey that? Okay, so this is a sticky thing for me personally that will be different than for most people. So my, my, my wife has a rule that we do not share pictures of our children online. Mm-hmm. We don't even give their names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have nicknames for our kids. Yeah. And it was because I had a weird mm-hmm. stalker guy that was uh-huh. literally sitting outside my house and weird stuff, following me around, showing up different places. It was just really bad. We had to get wow. the police involved. Oh, it was really bad. So that was enough to freak my wife out to where, okay, we're, you know, my, my wife is a mm-hmm. mama bear and she protects our kids. So that's why I like people go, you never talk about your kids. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and I won't. That's, <laughs> that's exactly the reason. Right. And, and my, and I, and my kids, I have such wonderful kids and we're so tight. We're such a super tight knit family. Like we have so much fun and we do everything together. And, and, and I, I have a daughter and a son and they're both just awesome. Now my son's 25. Wow. So his name's Jordan. He's all grown and, and he's, and he's <laughs> So he big. can take care of himself. He's big. Then. He's big. He can take care. He can take care of five people. He's, he's, he, yeah, he's done MMA oh, wow. and all that stuff. He's in good shape, but my daughter's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so when I get back, I don't share family photos. I make a separate family book. Like I'll make a photo book. I'm very big on making photo books. So I will make a photo book of here's the pictures of us having fun as a family. And now my wife is also phenomenal at uh, chronicling our trips. She is a serious iPhoneographer. Uh, she has other cameras and will not touch them. <laughs> she 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 is really good. She takes pictures. You know what? My most common thing that I say, I can't believe you took that with your phone. I mean, that is yeah. she's she's she you know what it is? Her thing is it's her intention. She doesn't treat it like this is my second phone or my backup phone. She's like, I love this camera. This is my camera. And she shoots it like it's a mirrorless. Or, by the way, it is a mirrorless. Sure. <laughs> she's, she shoots it. She shoots it like this is my serious camera. And her intention is to make a great shot. And and a lot of times, like, we'll go out shooting at dawn or together or whatever. And and she's nailing the shots. I'm like, honey, how did you get where Or where was that? And she's like, oh, come here. I'll take you. And we walk over there. Now. She is her traditional artist. She paints, she draws. She's got a great natural eye, oh, which yeah. is, you know, that's cheating. Yeah. That's the thing we're never supposed to speak about in photography, which is talent. We're never, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. So she's cheating clearly. Um, but um, so I have my, my family photos and she has family photos. So we put them together and make a book and, and, and we love that. And that is our memory from the trip. Um but if if it, I weren't in this situation and I could show my family photos, I would do the entire thing like I do for my serious photography, which is I would use Adobe mm, Spark. Okay. Now, it's it's free with your uh, whatever subscription you have to Adobe, whatever. But it's it, they changed the name of it recently, which freaked everybody out. Now it's called like Adobe Express, right. which is a weird name for it. But within Adobe Express is Spark Page. And what it is basically is... It builds a web page for you. No coding, no nothing. It is the easiest thing. You drag a photo in and you get to decide, do I want it really big, medium big, or do I want to do a little gallery of six or eight photos? And then uh, you type a headline and it automatically formats the text in a headline. And then you type your text. It's it's magic because you you need to know nothing. And, and in my workshops, I, I have all of my students make a Spark page while we're sitting there in the classroom mm. because that's how easy it is. It needs five minutes of instruction, like click here and type your headline, 
click here and type your text. You can put a caption here and drag in your photos. It is literally drag and drop. And you can change the order of the photos. But of, of anything that I've seen online, there is no better way to share your photos from a trip or, or an event than that Spark page. It takes over your computer. It takes over screen side to side and your pictures never look better. Mm. I, I, they seriously, it is. And everybody that's tried it for themselves is like, this is amazing <laughs> because Adobe has done all the work for you. All you have to do is literally be able to type sentences and drag and drop an icon. And that's it. It is beautiful. And for storytelling after your trip, I mean, Instagram, your pictures are this yeah. big. They're a thousand eighty pixels wide, and they don't actually even show that big. They're the, they're the width of your yeah. phone, but now they're the width of your screen, and it's such an immersive thing. And if they have an iPad, it automatically reformats for the iPad for the phone. But on a on any kind of computer screen, it is a stunning display. That's cool, and 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 it's free. You're yeah, already yeah. paying for it. It's part of your subscription. Go and get it, and it's just and it's a web page. It's just an open browser and. Start That's typing. Cool. It, it is absolutely just brilliant. And so when I come back, when I come back from Prague, I'll probably be doing it mm -hmm. on the plane. I'll just, you know, open it up and start. And I, and I tell the story of the trip. Uh, I, it is interesting. And you guys know what well, I'm about to tell you guys, you will already know, but some of your readers may not realize this, but the most read thing in articles are the opening few sentences, the PS at the end of anything, mm -hmm. but it's the captions. Yeah. Oh yeah. The captions get the most read. Those are the three things that get read. The opening sentence, your closing sentence, and your anything that you put in PS. Oh, by the way, people always go and read that, but captions, you can tell your story with just captions or an opening paragraph. Hey, we went to Prague and it was great. And I took some friends and we did this and, that, and I'm going to explain the rest in the captions below. And then just a photo and describe what's going mm -hmm. on there. And it's like, this isn't a little cafe and it was so great. And the waiter was funny and we had this great bread and we asked for the recipe and he spit on us. <laughs> uh, so you can just, you can write whatever you want in those. And it's just, and it just keeps That's you going. Mm -hmm. Just write captions, writing captions. Cause uh, for a lot of people, I think just telling the story is a challenge in words. We're, we're visual storytellers, right? That's what we are as a photographer. I'm telling my story visually. But then I have to explain it in words. Mm -hmm. But if you say, ah, don't write a big story, don't write a big paragraph, just write the captions. Just explain yeah. what's going on in this photo. Oh, that's the Coliseum. We got up early and that's it's it's easy from that. Well, it, I love that. I, I that's that's my jam is this Adobe cool. Spark. Yeah. Well, that also hits the thing of being frictionless because you know, how many times have we gotten back from a trip and all right, we got thousands of photos to go through, and I, am I going to do that right away? Well, I'm, I'm busy, and then you put, you put it off, and then you realize six months have gone by, and you haven't said anything about this great trip. So being able to, I've you know, hit the hit the good shots, the ones that that you knew at the time, like this is one that I want to feature because I really like this experience or this shot. Do a little bit of editing in you know Lightroom Mobile or whatever, and to be able to have something quickly without having the friction of, wow, I need to do all this, but I can't because I'm exhausted. Well, no, you can do a couple of these now and a couple of these tomorrow, and then you, you've got something. That's cool. Yeah. It's surprisingly easy. I, I think um, it, it does. You do want to do this with your finished photos though, Jeff, right? <laughs> you want to make sure they're finished and, and you sharpened and all that kind of stuff, right? So 
But uh, I, I think that's that's the harder part is, you know, making your picks and your selects and getting down to, I'll, I'm going to crop these, I'm going to finish these, I'm going to make them look good, and then I'm going to create the Spark page. But uh, it, it's yeah. such a satisfying – and you feel like you've put a, a an ending on your yeah. story, right? You know, you, you put it together. And people love it. People that are non-photographers love to see your story. And, and, and you know, because you are doing the things to come back with pictures – you know, when you have a fixer, you're coming back with pictures that no one else – you're not going to have your friend go, yeah. oh, I was there. <laughs> right. I had that shot. Like, Would yeah. you break in? <laughs> Did you break in through the window? You know, it's like, uh, you know, like here's an interesting thing in Rome. So, you know, the, the Vatican uh, it gets gets uh, so full of of people. It's worse than Disney. I mean, it's it's a massive amount of people. But you can buy a ticket to get in one hour before the public. Anybody can do it. But my, But a fixer told me. Went there early, bought the tickets, did, waited in line, did all the stuff, and we got there. And you're you're there all by yourself, wow. and it's just. And when they open that door, it's like Disney. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, within five minutes, thousand. I mean, you can't move. And so, but little little tips like that and little tidbits make all the difference in the world. And I know I beat the fixer thing to death, but it is it's the thing that's gonna. And I want you to think about so. What's it cost to go to someplace great? I mean, let's just say you're going to go to Vancouver. You know, you're going to fly to Canada. I and mean, Vancouver is a wonderful city. You're going to pay for airfare. You've got hotels. You've got transfers. You've got all the year to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, but you're going to short, you're going to stop $200 short of magical yeah. photos. Like spend the 200 bucks, get a fixer for, even if it's just one day. Just one day and, and tell the fixer, your fixer will do like mm-hmm. a Zoom call with you or something and mm-hmm. say, so what are you looking to see? And say, I, I want to get into some, and I will, I will tell them I love opera houses. Um, I love theaters. I love cathedrals. I love classical, old, big, awesome places. And, you know, you'll be amazed that they'll go, okay, uh, I know a church and, uh, you know, no one really shoots there. And you go in there and you just walk in and your jaw just drops. You're like. Like in Rome, they took me to a church that's all white in the inside. The whole interior is white. And I'm like, wow, like I never went. And you, it's down a side street. You'd never find it. It's not on any sure. map. It's just like, it's Bob's <laughs> church, you know, and there's, the, and there's the, and there's the priest to open the door for you. You're opening these, you know, that's crazy. So, that's, crazy that is stuff. an incredible tip. I definitely going to, next time I get to travel for real, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to look at a fixer. I, and you're saying that Facebook, Instagram, places like that are good places to look at, look for these folks. Yeah. Now they don't, they don't advertise. Right. Don't you got to ask for them, right? You have to find. So what you have to do is go, go look, follow like Steve McCurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and when he says, I was in Bhutan and, and this is me with my guide, you gotta, you gotta send him a, a Twitter. Cause that's, that's the great thing about mm-hmm. Twitter. Like, you can't reach the CEO of any company. If you call up and say, hi, I'd like to speak to the CEO of Ford. They're like, (laughs) sure. But you can tweet the CEO (laughs) of Ford, right? So that's the thing is you can, you have access to people that that you normally would never be able to speak to on a telephone. But if you tweet and say, Hey, I I saw that you went to uh, Bangladesh uh, and you got some amazing photos. Uh, Do you know a fixer there? Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And and just keep it short and sweet. And a lot of times they'll write back and go, Oh, I got the greatest guy. They're the best, you know, and they'll just, they'll just help you out. So, um, I think just, just asking if you see someone with really remarkable photos, 
uh, from a, from a place. And you can see if these are not the photos that the tourists are getting, you know, it's like, you're seeing like, you know, there's, uh, the, these young monk boys in these orange outfits running through a temple and they're jumping in the air and they're doing, and you're like, this photographer, there's somebody, <laughs> you know, is, is set this up and they did. And, uh, you ask who the fixer is, but it, but because you get a very friendly relationship with your, with your fixers that you, you know, if you're mm-hmm. a nice person and this, so this won't work for you guys, yeah. <laughs> but if you're. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, you know, if you're a nice person, you're going to have a great experience beyond just getting good pictures because you're going to learn about their culture. You're going to, and you're going to learn about them, not from mm-hmm, a tour mm-hmm. guide because the tour guide is always going to tell you the best possible right. scenario. Right. Uh, but a photo fixer will tell you, well, here's what it's really like living here. And here's what our friends do. And this is, and they'll tell you bad things like, yeah, this is tough. And this is bad about our economy or our government or about the way we live or the way we think. Uh, and you'll get a different side of life from someone who really lives there, really works there. I've had them invite me into their homes. Uh, it's just you you have a different relationship with them. So when somebody asks you, I'm going to blank, you can't wait to say, oh, you got to call this person, you know. But, you know, as photographers, we most of us want to help push the other one down the road. Right. We all want to help each other yeah. up the hill. And, you know, and, and I think. It's a wonderful thing about there's certain genres of things. I think photography, I think music, we, we want to help each other to succeed. So if someone were to ask me, Scott, do you know a fixer in this town? I can't wait to tell them. And I know that you guys are the same way. If you've got a connection that would help somebody make a better photo, you'd be the first one to tell them. Now that's cheating because you're educators, but besides, <laughs> but either way, if you weren't, you know, it's, I think it's our nature because we're all in this creative, feel together that we want to see other people succeed and we want to help them. And, and, you know, it's just like when they're a big secret, this is another travel photography secret. Um, you can buy portable printers this big mm-hmm. that are battery powered. And if you go to some place far away and you take a, you ask someone to pose and you give them their little picture, they may have never had a portrait of them or their children ever. And you hand them one of those it changes everything, but it also sets up the next photographer. When someone says, can I take your picture? They can't wait. And usually all they want to see is their picture on the back of the camera. Mm-hmm. They just want to, you know, because they may have never had a, a photo taken before. And I wound up doing this in a small village in India and everybody was coming out of their houses left and right. <laughs> just, just to see the picture on the back of the camera. If I'd have had that printer with me, <laughs> You know, they're just a couple of hundred bucks and they, they only make a print, you know, like yeah. this big. They're tiny little prints, but they'll share. They'll have those prints forever. They will have those prints forever. And you're giving them something back. And that's why I tell people one of the people, things that people struggle with in travel is photographing mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll sneak a shot. They'll do a candid like, oh, but but they never really get someone to pose for them. And I think that if you do get someone to pose for them, and I'll, I'll give you my technique here. I wrote about it in the book, but my technique is this. The first thing is, like, you're holding a camera. So you're holding a big, you know, whatever. You look at someone, you want to take their picture. I smile and I nod like, like, I hold up my camera because I don't speak their language. Yeah. And I go, hey, I'm going to take your picture. And I'm smiling the whole time. And I take a quick picture and then I immediately turn the camera around and start walking toward them so they can see the picture. And they'll always come over and look and they'll smile. And then I just go like, hey, a couple more. 
And now you've got a, a quick portrait session. The only thing I would tell you is you didn't get 10 minutes with them. You got one minute. Mm-hmm. Don't over, don't overstay your welcome. Just bang, 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 get your shots and roll on. But that's how you, that, that a friendly smile and say like, Hey, I'm taking, it's, it's kind of like you're asking permission, but you're yep. going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. But, but if I just take your picture and walk away, I took something from yeah. you. But if I turn my, my camera around and share it with them, at least they got something out of it. Now we both got something. I got a photo and you got to see the photo. You know, now the best thing that you can do if it is a fairly, you know, industrialized country is to email them the photo and actually do it. Get their email address and send them the photograph. Now, if you shoot like a mom and their kid, you yeah. have to do it. You, they, they, they may not want a picture of themselves so badly, but if their kids are in it or their families in it, now it really means something to them. And the worst thing that's happened to me is I've done that. And then the photo, it bounces mm. back. Like oh. I didn't, I don't have the exact right email. I feel terrible because I know how much they want it. And, and, but that also sets up the next photographer mm-hmm. for success that when someone else says, can I take your picture? They had a good experience and they're like, yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead and take my picture. Also, um, people that are most likely to pose for you are your fixer, mm-hmm. your taxi cab driver. Your Uber driver, and there's an Uber everywhere. So if you're thinking, I'm not going to find an Uber driver in Rome. That's how I get around Rome is Uber. They're they're everywhere. Um, and uh, your waiter or waitress, or your server in the restaurant. And I like to get that picture. I, I tell them when they're bringing my food, I go, wait, wait, let me get my camera ready. Can you, can you put my food down <laughs> one more time? Because, you know, I, I did a bunch of research, <clears throat> and I talk about this in the book. I did a bunch of research on what kind of photos wind up in big travel magazines. Mm. Like, what is it? So I bought every magazine I could buy, multiple copies, back issues and all. And I started writing down what, what, what is in these magazines? Cause you know, those magazines are designed to do one thing, make you want to go to that yes. place. And that's what I think makes a successful travel photo. If you show me a photo and I go, Oh, I got to go there. That's a win. So what, so what do they put in these magazines? Well, it's, it's, I, I wrote about it all. I went through, I think there's a whole chapter on here's what to shoot. Cause I want to give people a shot list so they don't just show up in a, well, I'm in Budapest. What do I shoot? Do I just go shoot the cathedral? Like I put a list of what's in there. So the things that you see most often in these magazines are photos of old people, photos of very young people. But I don't ever shoot children without getting a parent's permission. Sure. Don't ever just start shooting someone's kids. Like, eh, yeah, not yeah. cool. All right. Um, food. Food, food, food is one of the main reasons we travel. We love to try the food of other cultures and other places. So the food part is very, very big. Lots of shots of food. Lots of shots of the city. Not lots of shots, but an article will generally have a shot of a city from a high vantage point. Mm-hmm. Now. How do you get that high shot? Well, some places have a tower. Some places have an observation deck. You know, London's got the Shard in different places. Um, you know, Paris, obviously the Eiffel Tower, but there's many places. There is uh, uh, the highest building in France has an observatory on the top in, in France with a view of the Eiffel Tower and holes cut out of the plexiglass so you can put your lens through. Um, so there's, but those views, you can also, um, my favorite tip, is to is to stay in a hotel that's a tall hotel and ask for a tall room, uh, a room on a high floor, or just go to a hotel with a room and go to the concierge. Don't go to the manager. Mm-hmm. Go to the concierge and say, 
hey, I saw you have a rooftop bar. Uh, I'm a photographer and I would love to take a picture. Now, they don't know that you're not a hotel guest. You're there at the concierge desk. They're assuming you're a guest in the hotel. Yeah. They don't think this guy just walked in off the street. So go to the Hilton, <laughs> go to the concierge because the manager is not going to let you in the rooftop bar in the afternoon. There's no way. The manager doesn't want you up there because the manager does not work for tips. The concierge does. Mm-hmm. So if you say, can I just get 15 minutes up there to take some shots of the city from the top? The concierge can't get you up there fast <laughs> enough because they're going to get a tip. The manager, the front desk clerk, it's got to be the yeah. concierge. Now, if you're concerned that they think that you're not a guest, here's what you do. Go in the hotel, go in the elevator, go up to any floor, wait 10 minutes, come down. And when you come out of the elevator, make eye contact with the concierge. So they see you coming out of an elevator. You're clearly a guest. You know what I had one do? They said, I can't get you on the rooftop, but how about if I get you up to one of the suites where someone checked out and you can shoot from the balcony? That would be I great. Suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they did. The room wasn't even <laughs> if cleaned, we must. but who cares? <laughs> they they went upstairs to open the door, awesome. let me in, and I'm out there on the balcony shooting. Yeah, it's great. But a lot of smiles. Mm-hmm. Smiles help. Mm-hmm. Be friendly and be nice and just, you know, hey, I wonder if you can help me out with this. I'm a photographer from America. This is my first time to Budapest ever. And I would, I, I, I gotta come home with a shot of this beautiful city from up above. Is there any way you could let me on the roof bar, rooftop bar for just five minutes? Just five minutes. Yeah. Let me get a couple of shots. And they're like, I'm sure that yeah. can be arranged. Yeah, I'm there. I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen. Amazing. Yeah. Concierges are, are wonderful. And then you, then you tip them, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to tips are highly then you motivated, tip them, which is important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't get your yeah. shot no, and no, walk. You must right? tip them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't forget is, that part. No, no, no. I'll no, tip no, you no, when I check no. out. It, the tip is apps. <laughs> oh, tip oh, is no. absolutely. Oh. <laughs> so we got to, Mason. We got to hang you and me. <laughs> we got to go do a shoot. So place. I would love that. Uh, there's a couple of <laughs> couple of questions. I'm I'm looking at you know your your book and you've got that that section of shoot this shoot this shoot this and then it switches to skip this and I really like that yeah. because I think a lot of times when people travel they feel like they're in this target rich environment they just have to blast away at everything and they have to get all of the cliche photos and I love that you're saying mm-hmm. you know I actually did some research and these are the photos that appeal to people. <laughs> With social media, people feel like, oh, I can post any photo I took and people are going to give it some some likes. But you're very clear in the book. You, know, you want to skip certain things because people really don't like them. <laughs> so, yeah. Really and it, it, yeah. There was a couple things in there. One of them was animals. Don't t- take pictures of animals. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because I know a lot of folks who travel and a big part of their travel photography is wildlife. And you're saying that's I think what you're saying is if that's what you're there to do, then do that. But oh, yeah, if you see some goats different. on the side of the road, <laughs> snapshot of some goats, just goat save shot. your energy. <laughs> They're goats. Yeah. Yeah. And I will see people spend like 20 minutes shooting these goats. And when you get home, you look at those photos and you're like, what was I doing? Because and, and it's like and you shoot like a dog or a cow or just some weird thing. It's just like it is. No one sees that shot and goes, oh, God, I'm sure glad you got that shot of those goats. Man, yeah. you nailed it 
nailed it. And so, and I, and this is from my own experience. I looked, I looked through these thousands of shots from all these trips. Cause I've been, I've been traveling since I was a very young man and there's not a good one in there. And I look at other people's shots and they've got a picture of just, just, this is the donkey that took us to the top of the hill. <laughs> it's good to get the shot. So you remember, Oh yeah, we took a donkey to get up there, but it is not good to show in your photography slideshow because there are shots that you want so you can remember things. But there are, that's not the photographer in you. That is the trip historian, mm-hmm. right? There's two, there's two you, right? Just like I make two, I make uh, the family book. I would, I would include the donkey. Remember that donkey? That was crazy. But I'm not making an artistic photo of a donkey or a goat or some chickens <laughs> or some roosters. I don't care how good the light is on that chicken. It's like, Unless it's a chicken sandwich, don't bring that shot home. But I'm serious. I see people bring home like shots of chickens. Yeah. Like, what are you? What are you doing? Now that is different than wildlife photography. Don't go to Africa. Don't come back. <laughs> like Scott I didn't said, take any not shots to shoot pictures of animals. animals. No, so. no animals. An elephant no, no, came no. up to our room, no, but I'm not no. gonna <laughs> touch that. And I was right there, and we had peanuts. And so yeah. no, no, it, that's not what I mean. But it's like when you shoot these animals that you see along the way, they always the shots are always like. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I shoot that? So don't yeah, shoot like photos, these photos these from llamas. Windows. Photos through windows. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. These llamas by the side of the road are amazing. Hang on, let me grab my reflector. Yeah. And I've got a little speed light here. And <laughs> you're spending all you're this like, time, and you get home, and you're like, hey, llama. I spent 20 minutes shooting these dumb llamas. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think for me, especially as I get older, one of the things that I, I'm really conscious of is my how much energy I have. I have a bucket full of energy in the morning, and I want to finish the day with a few drops left in there. <laughs> And if I'm stopping mm-hmm. to take pictures of goats, I'm spending pouring out some of that energy on those goats. I may not have it for later in the day. And I think that's one of the traps that photographers, broader than just travel photography, but photographers in general, they're like, I spent $10,000 on this gear. My wife's looking at me like, aren't you going to use it? <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> I got to make a lot of photos or I'm not a photographer. And I, I am somebody who's like, if the light isn't magical and I'm saving myself for later in the day. I don't need to be a photographer for a few hours. And I think you brought this up, you know, you mentioned this when you you take your afternoons off. So I want to kind of wrap that part of that thought up a little bit. As you are in these times where you're not wearing your photographer hat and you don't feel the pressure to make photos, is it okay as a traveling photographer, is it okay to say, I'm just going to keep that as a memory and I'm not going to make a photo? Oh, of, of course. I think the most important part is, is not that you come home with incredible photos. It's that you enjoy your, your trip. Now, there have been, I've taken, and this is just a handful. I don't think it's five or six. I think it's a couple where I went to a particular place to do photography. Mm-hmm. Like I went there with buddies. We, we went there and we're going to hardcore shoot and just go, 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 go. But most of my travel is done with my family. And there, and, and I would rather enjoy the trip and enjoy the experience and, and have great food and great fun and laughter. And if I get some great shots too, that's fun. But really the vacation comes first and being with my family, you know, it's like, and, and I could always say, well, you know, I want to come back here on my own without the family and, and do some serious photography. Now I'm very lucky that my wife takes her photography so seriously. Because she wants to shoot all the time. Mm-hmm. 
And it used to be, you know, uh, before she started shooting her iPhone, she's waiting on me. And now I'm trying to find out where she's at. And I know if she's missing, she's someplace really cool. So I got to go find her because she's found that one place in this cathedral that I didn't know about. And she shows me the shot. I'm like, where's that? You got to take me back there. But um, no, I I really think at the end of the day, I love travel. So forget my, if I don't have my camera, I'm going to have a wonderful time. But I want to take my camera because uh, I want to document the trip so I can remember it. Um, I tell you what my, you know what my big regret is? I have a weird regret. And I would say this to your, to your listeners. I don't shoot enough video. Not on my, not on my mirrorless. I don't want to, that's, that's a whole other area of weird. But every time I shoot video on my phone, I absolutely love it. I've got a video of my brother and myself and my friend Mimo on a bridge in Venice. And I've watched that video a hundred times and it's like being there. It's a different feeling. And I don't want to become a videographer. It's, it's not me. Uh, I, I enjoy editing video. I don't really enjoy shooting it very much, but those videos. And so my, my thing that I'm trying to change and I'm going to work on in Prague is to shoot 10 times more video just on my phone, just for 15 second clips, Mm -hmm. because I, I really, really realize that I regret and not having done more of that, uh, of just, Hey, we're all at the dinner table. Hey, here's everybody who's here. Hey, say hi everybody and how was this food you know and that's it just like that long no much longer uh, not much longer um and i'm not going to put it in together into a movie but i love going through my phone and looking at those video clips i regret not shooting more video in past trips and i'm going to try to to fix that moving on but uh i i agree you you have a we have a limited amount especially as we get older a limited amount of energy and uh you know, I think the best thing you can do is you can grab either a 45-minute nap or a two-hour and 10-minute nap, right? <laughs> so the U.S. Navy did this research for on based on jet fighters, and they said if you want restful sleep that was meaningful, it has to be less than 45 minutes or more than two hours. Huh. Because if you go an hour and a half, you wake up feeling worse than you did. So it's less than 45. So I will literally set an alarm for 45 minutes. I fall asleep immediately. I could fall asleep anywhere. I could fall asleep in the middle of this podcast almost half twice. <laughs> so, no, I'm totally kidding. But no, but I'm just, I fall asleep really fast, like lightning. Fast. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. if I set 45 minutes, I'll wait. I'll be asleep in two minutes and I'll get 43 minutes of sleep. Uh, but if you can grab a nap in the middle of the day, it recharges your batteries just like anything else, just like plugging in your laptop or plugging in your phone. Uh, it recharges your batteries uh, because you, you know, ideally you're going to, you're going to get two wonderful times to shoot at sunset and at sunrise and you want to be fully present there. So you do a great job. And then the rest of the day you're on vacation and uh, you know, there are a lot of times I'm riding on buses and all because, you know, we decided to take a winery tour or, you know, we're going to go buy some drugs or something. So, <laughs> um, so, no, no, I'm totally kidding. That's but, not in the uh, book, thing. This isn't being recorded. That part. <laughs> that's not in that. Ooh. Oh, that's the other uh, fixer. No, no, that's the other okay. fixer, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I lead a very just boring life. I don't drink. I don't do anything. Really I do eat, though, and I yeah. super love that. Uh, I do it numerous times a day. I mean, every day, you know, three, yeah. four times Amazing. a day. Um, it's, yeah, it's like it's a thing now. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really do. Uh, I, I enjoy the travel aspect of travel so much. 
that, uh, you know, if I'm not shooting every minute, it's okay. It's okay. But I do want to shoot more video uh, just to, you know, it's, and it's that clip from Italy where I look and there's my brother and it's just a beautiful day. And it's, it's a different kind of memory than a photograph is. Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, I, and I realize that. And I think that's an area that, I mean, I'm already carrying it. It's already right there with me. I'm using it all day long and I, and I'm using it for, for GPS and how to get to my next location and all this kind of stuff. And when I just go like this and, uh, and I don't know if you realize this, here's the iPhone travel tip. While you're shooting video, there actually is, if you look on screen, a little white button. That is the shutter oh, yeah. button. It will take a still while you're shooting video. So, and what's nice is they're widescreen. They fill the whole screen. So why, why? I riddle me this gentleman. Why? When I take video on my phone, it fills the whole screen. But when I take a photograph, I've got a black bar on the left and a black bar on the right. Why? Obviously, Apple has the technology to let you take a full screen picture Mm -hmm. because you can do it when you're in video mode. Why won't Apple let us take a picture that fills the whole screen? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. How many years has the the iPhone been around with a camera? (laughs) Well, forever. And it's not like they put any development effort into the cameras at all. <laughs> like, you know, the cameras being a, a, a side thought or something. So, <laughs> so Jeff, do you know how many people I read this in an uh-huh. article? Do you know how many people at Apple are working just on the camera? How many employees at Apple are just working on the it's camera? hundreds, right? It, 800 plus yeah. are working just because they know that it is the number one reason that people will upgrade. If the oh, camera is better, it is because otherwise, like, does it still make calls? Yep. Does it still have the internet? Yep. Yep. Does it do everything else? Yep. What's better? Well, that's the most camera. popular camera in the world. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. More photos are taken with an iPhone than any other camera. By yeah, far. yeah. My uh, my wife, when she went uh, so pre pandemic, uh, went to uh, Serbia and Croatia and did like one of these these boat tours uh, with her mom, which was just this great experience. And she wanted oh, yeah. to take photos, but she had no interest in in taking like a camera camera. And so um, the the iPhone 11 Pro had just come out. And she got that because it had the the telephoto lens. I think the 11 was the first one to have like the dedicated telephoto or or maybe that was first three lens ones. Anyway. Yeah. And, and that's all she wanted. And she got some great photos because she could zoom in a little bit, you know, and it's not, it's not a huge zoom, but it's, makes the difference when you're standing on this boat and there's, you know, this nice church or something that, that you've pulled up to and just to be able to zoom in just a little bit and get that optically. She was, she was totally happy with all of her shots and, you know, had this great experience with her mom. It, it was great. And, and she, she never once like, well, I would say like maybe once she wished she had more reach that a camera would give her, but she definitely didn't want to carry around stuff. She didn't want like, like all the stuff that I think a lot of us just sort of assume, well, I'm a photographer, so I'm going to have to have, you know, camera body lens, backup lens, extra batteries, all that stuff. And she had a fantastic time, made great photos and didn't 
have any of that clutter. Yeah, don't sleep on that on what the iPhone can do. Uh, I mentioned that I did a workshop in China, mm-hmm. right? So I'm there, and my my uh, co instructor was Rick Salmon, and I know you guys yeah. know who Rick is. Rick's a wonderful guy, great shooter, and just a fun, fun guy. His wife is a serious iPhoneographer like mine. She's seriously like really, really into it. So we're out in the middle of nowhere, China, literally. Like we, we had to take buses and then we had to hike and then we had to take a raft and it was scary and it was just weird. And it's through dawn and we have these fishermen that are, that are a fixer set up for us, these fish, the great fishermen. And we're in these tall, you know, crazy uh, mountains and all. And it was just an amazing scene. And we're all set up and we've all got our big gear out there. And I got my big tripod and I got my, my big boy camera <laughs> and all. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm shooting and, and, and Rick's wife, uh, Susan walks over. And she goes, look, and she shows me Instagram. And there is the picture that she just took up on Instagram posted live. And I'm like, and and I'm standing there and her picture looks fantastic, right? right? It's the scene that's in front of us. We have beautiful light and it's a beautiful scene. And she's taking a beautiful picture. And I'm thinking to myself and hear me out. Ready? I'm thinking, okay, so her photos on Instagram for me to get my photo on Instagram. I have to pack up my gear. And I have to uh, hike. Then I can take a raft, and then I have to hike some more. Then, what? Uh, then I get on a bus and I go for two hours. Then I switch to a smaller bus because the big bus can't get to our hotel, so I switch to a smaller bus. I get to my hotel. I get out my memory card reader. I pop out the card. I load the images into my computer. I go through and sort them. I find the one I like. I edit it and ready. I have to upload it back to my phone. <laughs> yes. I have to go back onto my phone. I have to launch Instagram. From the camera roll, I have to import the photo into Instagram. And then here it is hours later. <laughs> I can finally upload my image while Susan had it on Instagram while we're standing on this little dirt mound in the river. And so while I'm sitting there pondering all this, the fisherman are taking their nets and they're they're throwing them up in the air, way up in the air. These nets kind of fall and they make this beautiful pattern and they they eventually hit the water, mm-hmm. right? And so Susan comes over and goes, look what I did. <laughs> and she's using the slow-mo video feature where you see the fisherman take the net. He reels back, but then it goes into super, super slow-mo. And this thing moves and you're just like, we're all sitting around <laughs> looking at it going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then, of course, we all take out our phones and we start shooting the exact same thing. But she's doing this with her phone. The video looks amazing. The photos look amazing. They're edited. They're online. And she's using apps and stuff. Like my wife, one of my wife's favorite apps is just, I believe it's just called either Touch Retouch mm. or just called Retouch. Yeah. And, and, and you know what it does for 99 cents? If you take a picture and there's a power line, you don't trace it to get rid of the power line. You just tap the power line. It knows it and it gets rid wow. of it. Photoshop doesn't even do that. It sees the power line. You just tap and say, wait, there's three power lines. One, whoop, two, whoop, three, whoop, done. It's 99 cents. I'm just like, are you it's kidding crazy. me? Because I can't even do, I have to carefully trace them. With my, my mouse or my pen using Photoshop. But of course, first I have to get the image from my phone over <laughs> to my laptop. I mean, it's just like 
we're living in a world where people are, are there. And that's why I wanted to be careful earlier when I mentioned the iPhone that I don't look down on it. I look up to it. It is, it does things that my DSLR to this day still cannot do. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I'm amazed with what it can do. Now in September, we're going to wind up with a new iPhone. And can I tell you something? If they put a real telephoto in it, I mean a real telephoto, because right now the zoom on the, on the iPhone is very mm-hmm. limited. It is a zoom, but it's very, very limited. You can digitally zoom, but then your quality yeah. goes down, right? Now, the some of the uh, other uh, camera brands are, and this is going to sound crazy what I'm about to tell you, have found a way to do a telephoto. The reason Apple has not done a telephoto, real telephoto lens, is that Apple does not want lenses sticking outside the body, right? That would look aesthetically bad and they would break and all kinds of bad mm-hmm. stuff. So what these other manufacturers have done that have real telephoto, like 10x optical zooms, 10x and 20x, they've taken the camera and put it vertically inside the body and put a mirror. They put a flipping (laughs) mirror. They made a DSLR. They went backwards. They went from a mirrorless to a DSLR where there's actually it's going vertically. There is a mirror and then it takes a shot. And I imagine that's periscope camera, periscope. And I think that's a. I think that's exactly what Apple's next move is going to be. When Apple has an optical 10 or 20x zoom, what is that going to mean for the DSLR and mirrorless mm-hmm. markets? Seriously. And, and, and right now they're at 12 megapixels, which quite frankly is all you need. And they know that. There's no sense in having a 54 megapixel phone, even though they're out yeah. there. But, you know, let's just say that they bump it up to 18 or something, you know, and so you can crop in a little tighter. But the reason why we need more megapixels is to crop in tighter is because it doesn't have a telephoto right. lens. But if it did, guys, where is that going to what is that going to do to the camera market? Like who when you consume 10x optical or 20x optical? And it's crisp and it's as sharp as your regular because your iPhone in good light with a wide lens is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Right? And my, my buddy just was testing the um, Samsung new new phone. And he said, overall, the camera, eh. He said, but dude, in low light, it is unbelievable. It is, really? It is light years ahead of the iPhone in low light, but it's not as good as the iPhone in good light. Right? There, it's not nice. But he said, but in low light, it's phenomenal. When you start bringing these few little pieces together, you take the low light from the Samsung, you take the the uh, what you call it, um, the 20x and 10x zooms and all, and you bring it into the world's most popular camera, it's, you're going to make a hard case for me to spend $2,600 on a body and then $2,800 yeah. because the price of lenses, it's weird. Lenses are converging. You've got really, really sharp lenses for cheap amount of money. And then you've got these super expensive, crazy lenses. Canon just introduced two lenses, what, two weeks mm-hmm. ago? One of them was 16,000 and the cheaper ones, 12,999. <laughs> yeah. Cheaper one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you can buy $300 lenses today that are just, you know, incredibly sharp and, and useful and stuff. So it's a, it's, it's a really neat, interesting, scary, wonderful time that we're yeah. in as photographers right now. Uh, and I think, uh, I, I don't sleep on the iPhone period. Uh, at the very least, it's your backup, but it does things that you're, your regular camera can't do. And so you should take advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, it's better at panos. It does panos and stitches them together mm-hmm. for you right there on the spot. 
You know, it's, it's built in HDR is fantastic. Um, it, it, there are a lot of things it does better than your other camera. So use the two together when you're traveling. Don't, don't sleep on that, that iPhone. Tell folks in my travel photography class that it's a great camera. It's actually three great cameras. If you have an iPhone, it's three great cameras that fit in your pocket that have GPS. They have all your guidebooks in there, your music, your email, your text. It's also a phone. It's all this stuff in your pocket. And when you take that camera out to take photos of people, they don't bat an eye. But you pull out your 70 to 200 <laughs> and you aim it at them. They're like, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting photographed. Yep. I think the iPhone is a fa- fantastic travel camera. I, I consider it my, my backup when I'm carrying a single body. I, I don't think that I'm taking extreme risk because I have a decent camera in my pocket. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And uh, just to follow up, that, that that's what I was going to say was uh, people will not give you any guff for having uh, a phone because everybody has a phone and everybody's taking a picture of whatever it is you're taking a picture with their phone. And so just that freedom as a traveler gives you, you know, the, the space to move and the space to you know, hopefully catch catch people unaware if you know something some cute is happening or you know so someone's doing something interesting because as we all know you take out a real camera like everything changes a bit people are like oh well how am i going to look yes. if you're just putting your phone out there it's like oh it's another american with a phone That's yeah phone. <laughs> the other That's thing we, we didn't get in we haven't gotten into at all on this is the fact that when i take a photo with my phone if i'm near a cell tower I'm having instant redundant backups made of my images. Yeah. So if I drop my phone in the Danube, <laughs> my photos aren't <laughs> gone. You know, I, my precious images are, are instantly backed up and available on all my other devices. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, they are. It's amazing. It's incredible. So. What a wild time we live in. So, Scott, I have one more question. I know we've been – this is our longest podcast episode sure. ever, but it's definitely worth it. <laughs> Oh, no, no, sorry. it's great. It's great. <laughs> this is, this is, uh, Jeff and I can only talk so long, but when we have somebody like Scott Kelby, you got to make the most of it. <laughs> I'm looking at the guitars on your wall and the guitars on the rack next to you. And one of the things that I bring up a lot in my classes is the parallels between musicians and photographers. And I think that when it comes to creative endeavors, when it comes to artistry, um, musicians and photographers are, are, are kin because we're using technology and our own human creativity and our hands and all of these things are working together to make our, to make our product. As a musician, how has that affected you as a photographer it, when it comes to gear, when it comes to your you know, experience of making music and photos? Well, one thing it has done, because I've spent so much time in my post-processing, it has not made me scared of other of learning audio software. <laughs> but I think that the fact that that uh, I work daily in Lightroom and I work daily in Photoshop made me realize I can learn this. It's just another tool, right? It's kind of like what you just said. Um, I play keyboards. That's probably my main instrument. Uh, that's why I always call myself a struggling guitar player because I'm really oh, okay. a keyboard player. Um <laughs> I'm a drummer. I, I'm a drummer as well. So I got a, those pads uh, over here are oh, it's cool. a drum set, and it's got nine pads. It's got actually it's got yeah it's got nine pads, and then I have a bass drum pedal connected to it because I started on drums and then I moved to keyboards and then guitar and I play bass and so uh, so I, I 
I play all these different things, but it's kind of just like I also photograph all kinds of different things. I'm a travel photographer. I'm a sports photographer and I'm a portrait photographer. So uh, I, I think that the two are so close. There's so many, so many photographers I know that are musicians because I think they go mm-hmm. hand in hand. We're, we're telling a story. We're telling, we're, we're storytellers. Some of us tell with words. And like, I know that you guys recently had Joe McNally on. And I, I think Joe McNally is one of the greatest storytellers of our time. When Joe finally does pass away, and I hope it's many, many years from now, he is going to be a guy that they study in college in the history of photography because he is an incredible storyteller. He's a brilliant writer. Mm-hmm. His writing is great. If you ever get to hear Joe speak and, and like give a presentation, he's an incredibly gifted communicator. Yeah, and then he's a visual yeah. storyteller, right? And and music is just an extension of the story that we want to tell. It's a different way of telling our story. We tell our story, story with photos. We tell our story with video. We tell our story with music. But also, photography and music have a way of uniting people across all, all over the world. Um, each year, I, I sponsor a thing that we started uh, 14 years ago called the Scott Kelby Worldwide Photo Walk. Mm-hmm. And in a thousand cities around the world, groups of 50, and it's not always 50. 50 is the maximum. Sometimes it's 13 people, 22 people, yeah. whatever. Um, around the world get together on a particular day, and we're raising money for the Springs of Hope Orphanage in Ukuru, Kenya. So everybody pays a buck to do it. And we take all that money, and 100% of it goes to the orphanage wow, every so year. Cool. And they count on it. It really helps them. And and it's, it's a great thing to get photographers together. We take millions of photos that day. It's like 25,000 people all over the world getting together. And the one thing that I ask each, each town that signs up, each city, and they're all over, is to send a group shot. Just send a group shot so I can just see we can share them. And when you look around the world and here's Cairo, Egypt, and 50 photographers, and they got DSLRs, they got mirrorless, they got everything, and they're smiling and they're all having fun. And then here's a, a province in China, and here's this group, and here's Japan, and here's Brazil, and here's France, and all over the world, and, and everyone's enjoying the same thing. You know, it's it's if you ever look at what's going to bring people together right? It's things like this. It's music. It's music festivals. It's photography. It's movies. It's creativity. It's we have way more in common than we have differences. And I think that when you meet other photographers, and I've got to shoot with photographers all over the world. Every time I do a photo walk, I use that as an excuse to go to another city (laughs) because I tell my wife, honey, I'm going to lead a photo walk. And I have to go to Innsbruck, Austria. <laughs> and so I go there. I have to. Right? I just have to. I have to. And, and, and what's neat about it is 10 of my photographer friends, we all get together. We call ourselves Team Epic. And we all get together. And we all just hang out and shoot until the photo walk. And then we do the photo walk. But here I am some, in some other country where I may not speak the language or I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not good at Austrian. <laughs> uh, and you meet all these photographers and everyone's so nice and we're all enjoying the same things. And you realize, you know, I, I mean, I've been all over the world. I've been to communist countries. I've been to Cuba. I've been to China numerous times. I've been all over. And you know what? People are the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. Governments are different, right? Governments and politics are different. But people all want the same thing, right? They want they want to have a good job. They want to feed their families, they want their kids to have a good education. They want to enjoy good food. They enjoy music. They love the same music, right? 
And so um, I, it is one of the best things about tra- traveling is meeting other people and realizing how much we have in common. It is amazing how much we're all the same. And it's amazing how you're in Egypt and you're talking to photographers there and they're like, so what's a good lens? Is this thing really sharp? <laughs> it's the same. They were all the same. We're all, it's yeah. just so funny, but it's, it's also very endearing and it's, it's, it's very, I, I love it. It's, it's wonderful. And I think that it's, you know, I, these things all bind us together, you know, and it's like, we really are. We're so much, I mean, I, I've, I've met people from everywhere and, uh, and some of the times it's been on speaking gigs and stuff. And, uh, and, and I, I've met instructors and photographers from Palestine. I've met, uh, photographers from, from Vietnam, from Cambodia, from everywhere. And the Philippines, man, the Philippines has got some good photographers. Holy, I don't know what's going on there. The Philippines, I don't know. They're stacking the deck, man. They're, they, they are really, really, really good. I, I had a bunch of Philippine photographers join me in Paris. In my Paris photo walk. And of course they were shooting lights out. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, but these are the things we need to focus on. You know, you want to bring the world together and let's all do this kind of stuff together. Music and, and photography and painting and art and all. It's like, you know, there's, there's so many wonderful things in life. And, and I know that we are inundated with all the bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we don't want to hear fun, happy news. We say we want to, but we don't. My lo- my local news station um, switched a few years ago and said, we're not going to tell any more bad news. We're just going to be all day long, everything good news. It lasted yeah. two months. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what? Wonderful things happen all over the world every day. Yeah. One Every day, museums open their doors, fabulous museums. People enjoy incredible art. Photographic museums, people are in there staring at these wonderful images and just like, wow. Every day, photographers around the world are just trying to get better. Mm-hmm. We're all just trying to get better at what we're doing. If we're cooking, we want to we want to make better meals. If we're playing guitar, we want to sound better and stop playing so sloppy. Oh, that's just <laughs> um and, and whatever it is, we just want to get better. Let's all just help each other down the yeah. road. Let's just, you know, and, and you guys are doing this today with, with your podcast. This is what you're doing. Uh, you're doing this because you love sharing. You want to help people. You know that you've learned things along the road that can help the next person. And uh, so, you know, high five to you both for taking the time. And I'm very grateful that you gave me this this opportunity to, to chat with your viewers and stuff. This has been a blast. You guys are awesome. <laughs> I'm telling you, we have to go shooting. Yes. Seriously, <laughs> the three of us, we got to go. We would have so much fun. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I know you like, I know you like anyway. Portland. I'm in Portland. So donuts are on me next time you love, come out here. Love Portland. Yeah. Oh, man, I would love to do that. And Jeff, you're in Seattle. Did you I'm say? in Seattle. I could. It's you know three hours driving down. It'd be easy, easy to go to Portland or no. or. He oh, can but come you know up. what? So normally, before pandemic, I would be in Portland once a year, in Seattle once oh. a year. But now that I know where you guys are, I mean, I'm not doing my 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 road tour now. But when it cranks back up, I'm coming to see both of you. Let's you got let's it. go have dinner. Let's get up early. You go Absolutely. shoot. We can, I'm telling you, we would have the best yes, time. We oh would. my gosh, we would have the best. Time. Totally Absolutely. have a blast. Totally have a now, now here's, but don't tell anybody else because we want to <laughs> people. Yeah. <laughs> we have to get up super early to beat so everybody we, else, and, and let's get secrets and don't tell anyone. <laughs> let's find secret locations that never share. I've got a few. I've got a few. 
I could be a fixer oh. here for Portland. Ooh, see, so. see, all right. That's what we need a fixer in Portland. <laughs> yes. Can we go? Can we go to Voodoo I Donuts? I got better donuts. Is it okay? I can, I can introduce you to better donuts than Voodoo. Even. Yeah, yeah. No. I know. I know. No. That's the secret. That's the secret. Voodoo is like definitely go there because it's an experience. But oh, I've been there. Okay, yeah. But there are better donuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Voodoo's like the donut you go to on the bus tour. And then I will take you and get the key and unlock the lock and bring you into the good donuts. You've got the – oh, dudes. (laughs) It's true. I'm telling you. (laughs) Jeff, Mason – it's, I'm all coming. Right. Yep. All right. Yep. Standing I'm coming. Standing He'll do donuts, I'll, I'll, and then when you're in I'll Seattle, you I'll do coffee. I'll give you a good 30 days yep. notice. Yep. All right. Okay. That sounds well, great. Well, Scott, it's, it's <laughs> been such a pleasure. I really could talk to you all day. You're, you're an engaging guy. We love your work. I have enjoyed Thank your you. workshops in the past. I've enjoyed your videos. I've learned a lot from you over the years. I really Very like nice. this new book. I like this style. So I'm going to point people to that. It's uh, out on Rocky Nook and we'll have links in our show notes to all of these things. But uh, Rocky Nook has got the travel photography book. Am I saying it right? It's such a simple title. It's it's yeah, <laughs> the yeah. travel photography book. Yeah, I, went, I went with the really easy names <laughs> there. So Joe's, Joe's book is wonderful, but the title is like six miles long. But, uh, <laughs> but the travel photography it's book so is good, great. Though. The so other books good. in the series are also awesome. Uh, I also want to point out that you've uh, got a wonderful blog and it's uh, always got interesting guests, uh, blog people on there, which I think is, uh, you know, most blogs are just one voice. This is a a myriad of uh, awesome voices. You've got a great piece up um, just recently from Chris Orwig, one of my favorite portrait photographers. Oh, Chris is so good. He's amazing. I just love his style. So, you know, check out your blog, uh, which is scottkelby.com, right? Of course, you're also a big part of Kelby One and Photoshop World. You do everything, right? And you do it all every day. <laughs> no, no. I used to do everything. Now I do just do something. You just do some things. But uh, the Kelby name is... I don't is... want it to get in the way of my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Gives you more time names to travel. A lot of stuff. So we appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. I know you're super busy. You know you got a standing invitation in, in the Pacific Northwest next time you're out here. Oh, thanks. I'm, I'm coming. I'll give you 30 days notice. Sounds, Sounds great. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure had fun. All right. Thanks, Scott.